The world that we live in is filled with chaos. We are all searching for meaning in our lives, but we often get lost along the way. We all must ultimately realize that meaning is found in responsibility for our actions, for the way we live our life, and for the people in our lives. We don't have to stay in the chaos. We can choose to bring order to our lives. Join us for a fresh perspective on the practical steps we can take to become who God intended us to be and to realize what our calling is. This is Coming Out of Chaos. Welcome back to the Coming Out of Chaos podcast. My name is Michael Bachlig. I'm your host. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Bryce Kirk. Bryce, it's great to be back with you here in the upper room. Thank you, Michael. A pleasure as always. As I mentioned, we are in the upper room here at St. Nicholas Orthodox Church in Springdale, Arkansas, our regular location for podcast recordings. We have another special guest with us for this podcast episode. Today, we have my own father, Father Timothy Bachlig, with us. He is the pastor of St. Michael Antiochian Orthodox Church in Van Nuys, California, a church I was a member of for 18 years of my life. My father is in town visiting myself and my family, including his grandchildren, and it's been wonderful to have him here with us for the past few days. It is a bit awkward to refer to my biological father as Father Timothy, so I will just say, Dad, thank you very much for being with us for this podcast episode today. Well, thank you for the invitation. I am delighted to be here in Springdale, Arkansas with all of you. Many of our listeners know that my father is a priest. I've mentioned it in this podcast before. For those outside the Orthodox Church, it almost always causes some kind of confusion as to how it is that I can even exist if I have a priest as my father. And that is, of course, because most people associate the word priest with only the Roman Catholic Church, at least in this country. And most people know that those priests are celibate. But I would imagine that most people listening to this podcast know that Orthodox priests can be married before they become a priest and not after. So fortunately, I think I can sidestep the church history conversation that I usually have to have on this topic. We do have a Q&A plan for this episode with my father, and we're going to have Bryce start out with the first question. Father Timothy, it's a blessing to be with you again, being able to meet with you a couple of times. It's been an awesome experience. Michael always has very good things to say when we talk. So my first question is this. I was hoping that you would start by sharing a bit about your background. I know that you were born and raised in Hawaii. What was that experience like, and why did you decide to leave Hawaii as a young man? Well, as a young man, there were two directions that a young person could be headed after high school. College or remaining at home, and I say remaining at home because remaining at home might mean college locally, but many of us who were not surfers or those that were involved in a lot of, uh, say, reckless activity would, of course, be groomed to attend college, and that meant college on the mainland. So um, that was the direction that I knew I was headed. It was assumed that I would um, get an undergraduate degree. And so in searching for Christian colleges, it was very important um, for me to determine what part of the United States I would uh, choose to study. 
As your son, I know how important Hawaiian culture is to you, and I visited Hawaii several times with you, and it is truly a different world compared to the mainland, as you called it, something that Hawaiian locals call it. When you came to the mainland, did you experience any culture shock? Well, let me say first that the Hawaiian culture is a distinct culture, a distinct group of people in Hawaii. So I was really raised in a Hawaii culture, which is a cosmopolitan environment of multi-ethnic groups, um, multi-religious groups, um, people of various um, kinds of uh, ideologies, backgrounds, religions, and so forth. And we lived in an environment that was with a lot of mutual respect, a lot of a lot of humor and um, uh, a lot of um, lightheartedness, um, but we were raised in an environment that was cosmopolitan for the most part. I mean, that was what I identified, that is what I identify as my experience in Hawaii. For example, my ethnic background is Filipino, Portuguese, Chinese, French. I had no choice in the matter, um, but all of us who were raised there were always very aware of our heritage, uh, learned about our heritage, respected our and other people's heritage that included everything about who they were, be it religion, uh, affiliation, or ethnic background. Excellent. Thank you, Father. So I understand that you are also a convert to the Orthodox Church, as am myself. So would you mind sharing how you found Holy Orthodoxy and what a journey that was like for you? I think um, that it's best described by my quest, my desire, my earnest, heartfelt need to understand the full context of the Bible. I mean, I was raised knowing the Bible, understanding the Bible, memorizing the Bible, um, taught a lot about the Bible, but I, I felt like there was so much more that I was lacking in comprehending the text of the Bible that had to do with its context. It's, it's uh, her the heritage of the Jewish people, the Arabic community, the Semitic tribes, the history, the topography, and so there was always that burning desire to, to fill in the blanks of what I was being taught as a young man. You were also a student of my grandfather, my mother's father, Dr. Howard Irvin at Oral Roberts University. You had several classmates at ORU that even went on to become Orthodox priests in addition to yourself. I've always been curious how it was that Dr. Irvin led so many, not just to Orthodox Christianity, but to the priesthood in many cases. From your point of view, how did that happen? Your grandfather, Michael, was not an Orthodox Christian, but he was someone that was very learned as a scholar in uh, the church, uh, patristic sources, that is, the text of the early church fathers, and his knowledge of scripture that spanned the entire Bible from the Old Testament and the Hebrew language, knowing also Greek, knowing Aramaic, knowing um, so much about the Semitic languages, but also understanding the history as well as everything about the, the land, the culture. 
was something that was uh, an imp impacting the lives of many of his students. And um, of course, as you may recall, his, his, um, his way about teaching was with great sobriety. And you could always sense that he was a man that was serious about biblical studies and understanding the truth in the fullest sense of the word, not just what we from, say, the 21st century would read and understand from our perspective, but more importantly, what it really meant in the day that the, uh, the Hebrews lived, um, Christians um, lived, um, Christians were persecuted, and of course, the life of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. What, he, what was the environment um, that he was born into? And um, I think the most effective thing about what he taught us personally as his students was to help us understand that while there are many, many questions in a lifetime, and there is the desire for reading a lot of books, as the book of Ecclesiastes talks about. If a person desires to know and understand the right questions, he or she will find orthodoxy. Um, now, there are no wrong questions, per se, for anyone that's desiring to learn. But if there is a seriousness about aiming to discover what are the most pertinent, concisely accurate questions about knowing the truth, a person will discover orthodoxy. And that was the guiding, uh, the guiding advice, I would say, that he provided all of his students that led us all, all, all of us that came from many different backgrounds. We were not just one type of student. We came from different parts of the country, came from different backgrounds, but um, respecting and um, taking his advice very seriously had a tremendous impact upon our lives. Thank you for that insight, Father. You've also often talked about your experience living and studying in the Middle East as a very important time in your life. What was it about that time that you spent in the Middle East that made it so transformational for you personally? I believe that it was finding um, what I missed out on in being raised as a Christian. I felt and understood that there was lots about my upbringing that was in the negative, um, being taught about what we don't believe, what we cannot accept, what we regard as false and so forth. And so part of my quest was to know, well, then, if this is, if the gospel is the good news, where's the good news? What is good about all this negativity that I found myself raised with? And uh, eventually, um, I found that um, I had been missing a lot. So even while living in Jerusalem, in the city, the old city, outside of the old city of Jerusalem, uh, and in that environment, with all of the time that I had as spare time for my studies, I, um, I devoted myself to walking the way of the cross, praying the prayers of um, the ancient texts of the ancient church, and began to have parts of the puzzle 
complete in my understanding about what is the historical faith, what is the historical Christian church. That's very moving, Dad. I actually think a lot about how your past has affected your life, how it shaped you, and how it it led you to become a priest. It's one thing to decide to become an Orthodox Christian. It's another thing entirely to become a priest in the Orthodox Church. What was it that made you want to become an Orthodox priest? First of all, it wasn't becoming a priest. It was becoming a minister because I had no idea that I would be eventually become uh, an Orthodox Christian. I thought from my first inclination that I was headed towards the Roman Catholic Church, and that was all that I understood as being Catholic, uh, largely due to the fact that my best friend in Hawaii was Roman Catholic, and even there when I had curiosity about uh, what um, I could not discuss with my best friend under the direction of my grandmother, who forbade me to speak any religion outside of the house, (laughs) um, not to mention politics, um, it became very apparent that, um, you know, I would be stunted in some way, but not by by having a friend who I did not understand completely. And so there was part of this desire within me to to know more about my friend, his family, and In fact, uh, the heritage of my grandmother, which was Roman Catholic before she converted to the Protestant faith uh, as a young person in Hawaii, living in a Roman Catholic neighborhood in Hawaii called Villa Franca, which was a Portuguese neighborhood. So even in that, there was an ethnic element about my upbringing that I had many questions about and continued to pursue. It wasn't initially about becoming a priest, but understanding in finding Christ in the years of my uh, being in high school and understanding um, the personal relationship that we have in knowing Christ as our Savior, um, I felt like I was moving in a natural progression in becoming a minister. And of course, with the transition that occurred when I began my master's in Jerusalem, um, it became more pronounced that it was the Orthodox Church that was the direction I was headed towards. Thank you, Father. So, as you mentioned, an inkling towards being a minister was with you at a very young age. And I've been told that you did attend St. Vladimir's Seminary after you graduated from ORU. What was your experience at seminary like? My experience in seminary was, again, part of having the gaps of my religious upbringing completed and filled with understanding the liturgical life of the Christian church. Uh, I was truly blessed to be a student of Father Alexander Schmemann, who was our dean at the time. We learned much from him. In fact, it was many of his lectures in um, parishes when I was a catechumen that had great influence along with the books that he wrote. One of the most popular is um, For the Life of the World. And it was very apparent to me then in the uh, life of my uh, seminary years that the liturgical life of the church played a very significant, important, and essential role in 
being an Orthodox Christian, and it was something that certainly I did not fully grasp or understand as a Protestant. Of course, having been catechized in Tulsa, Oklahoma, after my return from Israel, and uh, and then understanding more about the church's history, it was the liturgical life of the church in seminary that gave me that full experience 24 hours a day for the two years that I was there to uh, grasp, understand, and to participate in the prayer life of the church. Father, in the Antiochian men, we talk a lot about how we are all, as men, called to be priests, to be the priests of our family. In your case, you were not only the priest of your household, but also you became the priest of a parish. There's one part of Scripture that's one of my favorites, and it comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. In Starting in verse 9, I'd like to read it. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That part of Scripture has always spoken to me, and especially more in recent years when we consider the weight and the responsibility of being a good priest in our own households. But as far as being a priest in the Orthodox Church, was there anything about the priesthood that surprised you or was different than you expected after you became a priest? First of all, let me say that putting on a vestment, putting on a robe, a cassock, doesn't make a person a priest. Uh, and that is really quoting His Eminence Metropolitan Joseph in one of his recent conversations with the clergy. Um, but as an Orthodox priest who was ordained to serve as a pastor uh, in a parish, I think many times people do not understand that the role of the priest as a pastor involves many tasks, responsibilities, and challenges besides being um, a liturgical person as a priest administering the sacraments of the church. So priesthood for me has always been being a pastor and facing many, many, many challenges about many aspects of uh, church administration, um, care and concern about individuals that face diversity of problems, the confidentiality of persons who confess their innermost uh, private thoughts and needs to receive guidance. Um, but the surprising thing was learning how to successfully manage all of the various parts of being a pastor in addition to being a priest. So how would you compare the early years of your priesthood to your experience in more recent years? I think more recent years, especially now this month, beginning my 39th year as a priest, is having learned how to better repent of my sins and better able to um, focus upon the essential matters of my calling as a priest and as a pastor. Um, 
in the younger years, of course, sometimes when you're younger, you have more energy. When you get older, your physiology changes. You start taking um, high blood pressure pills, among <laughs> other things, uh, to curb, uh, you know, your uh, physical needs. Um, but all of that is for a purpose, and God knows what he does. Uh, you know, in canonical tradition of the church, a priest should be ordained at 30, a deacon at 25. I was ordained at 27. But I do know, and by the way, in those days, longevity was maybe 45, 50. <laughs> so the ramifications of what that means today is significant. But I can tell you this, when I reached the age of 30, there was something different that I cannot explain about having been a priest. Maybe it was because it was three years that I had uh, already experienced, but there was something about being an older man uh, and now being a much older man at the age of 67. Um, yeah, I do see things differently. I understand things differently. I probably have learned how to let go of some non-essential things that have distracted me or otherwise um, hampered my ability to be more effective as a priest. Yeah, there's a lot that can be learned in time and with being faithful, being consistent, being honest, and being repentant. Your response there really resonates with me. We just, in our last episode, talked about the importance of maturity. And as we get older, it brings about a certain sobriety just naturally. So I can definitely relate to what you're saying. Even though I'm younger than you, I can still understand where you're coming from. And Father, you have been the pastor at St. Michael Orthodox Church in Van Nuys, California for thir over 30 years now. The last time I visited there, I saw a brand new church being built there in Van Nuys. I'm wondering how are things progressing and what has the construction process been like? Things are progressing well, although slowly. You know, we've been through the pandemic now for two years, and I've always evaluated our success or our struggles and hurdles in light of what God allowed, what he is doing in, in our being prepared to have a sanctuary that is a traditional structure. I think in the last two years, even say in the past five years, our community has become to understand more about what an Orthodox structure is and the relationship between archaeology, hymnography, and iconography, which is at the heart of our um, liturgical understanding of worship. Not everybody can build uh, in our day a, a Byzantine structure overnight, and especially in California, where it's becoming very difficult to um, to achieve that goal, but by the mercy and the grace of God, we have been able to succeed in building a church structure from the ground up. And I think in all fairness, it must be said that this was after 30 years, I'm sorry, after 50 years, I've been there 30 years, after 50 years of existence, where our founders were very determined not to begin a new church building until our mortgage was paid off, and those were three mortgages over the period of my pastoring for 30 years, um, well, 25 actually when they were paid off. And the need to 
do so uh, in being good stewards and being realistic in terms of what our capacity was financially. But God blessed. He blessed, he provided, he encouraged. And that had to be accompanied by a lot of education because even among the cradle orthodox, it became very apparent to me that there was very little knowledge about orthodox architecture and structure and what that had to do with the worship experience of being in a building. The church is not the building per se, but the church for me as a place, as a sacred space, is the eye of the hurricane in our chaotic age. So all the more, um, it became all the more important for me to help people understand the unique opportunity we had in being able to accomplish that goal. Father, I've seen a few pictures, and Michael has talked to me quite a bit about the building of this new structure in Van Nuys. Being able to see the iconography, the building style, you and I discussed the other day about how it is also earthquake resistant. You know, it's very well built for being in California. And I'm looking forward to what it looks like when it's finally finished. Maybe a visit is in order one of these days. Maybe a church visit uh, with Michael. But... We've also talked a lot about the priesthood in the Orthodox Church today. So if there's any man out there watching this video right now who is considering becoming an Orthodox priest, what advice would you want to share with him? Well, let me say this. Not everyone is called to be a priest. Um, get your undergraduate degree out of the way. Learn a trade. And this doesn't only come from me. It comes from many who I have asked the same question before becoming a priest. Uh, learn a skill before uh, even requesting the bishop's blessing to enter seminary. Think about everything else that's involved in becoming a priest, which has to do with finding a wife, if that is your calling, uh, if you are perhaps considering being celibate, understand that, you know, it's not being a single person, it's being celibate. And there's a big difference. And also that uh, that choice doesn't occur unless you're 40 years old by what is being today expected uh, so that a person is truly and seriously prepared for that calling and is confirmed to be a celibate person. Uh, I believe that there are other things that have to be considered. Do you have any debt? Um, would How many children? Or how, if God blesses you to have children, how large a family would you like to have? What is being content in your life? What does it mean to be content? Is it having um, a standard of living that is of a particular scale. Um, all of these things have um, a great um, concern in our day because becoming a priest is not just me, my, and I. It's not about me, what I want to do, or uh, what I believe God chose me to do. It's about the relationships you have that are essentially important, that are directly related to 
being able to be a responsible Christian, a good steward and manager of a family, as well as to be accountable in every respect in terms of the management of your life. So it's it's not just becoming a priest. It's considering all that's involved of what the priesthood means today or what a pastor is and probably spending time with a priest in discussing and asking questions about uh, what it's like. Uh, it is not just a professional career um, to demonstrate a professionalism. It is a calling. It is a paternal role of a spiritual nature uh, that may also include uh, being a biological father, which takes on um, a lot more responsibilities in our day. Those are wonderful insights. Thank you, Father, for sharing that. I wanted to mention that you picked a very busy weekend to visit us here in Northwest Arkansas. His Grace Bishop Nicholas visited our parish this past weekend, and we had a lot of things going on at our church while you were here. What were some of the highlights for you personally while you have been here? Well, Michael, the biggest highlight was being with you and the family and being able to really not have um, my job as priest and pastor in the forefront, although I was working throughout my stay while here uh, out of necessity. This is a busy month for us uh, with annual reports and everything else that's involved in church management. In fact, I have a parish council, a virtual parish council meeting this evening and a Bible study tomorrow, which I'm probably going to prepare while on the plane tomorrow, although I've begun work on that yesterday and today. Um, and yeah, work as a priest is um, is not something that's a nine to five job and, and knowing how to manage that is very important and having the joy of the Lord and the peace uh, of the Spirit in our life is essentially important. Being with all of you has been not only a, a joyous experience, it's been a, um, um, a very emotional experience for me. Um, being with His Grace Bishop Nicholas, who I have not seen for a long time and really has have not known that well, and having the opportunity to visit with him has been um, uh, as much of a positive experience for me during this trip. Uh, and really seeing how much St. Nicholas uh, community has grown from my last visit here, and I don't even remember when I was last here. Do you remember? It was a couple of years ago. It was maybe a little more than that. It was for the crowning service for Elizabeth right, and I. Right, right. And um, just to see how the community has multiplied with the growth of young adults and children, families, um, it's even through the pandemic, it's, it's significant as to how God's been working here in Springdale. Father, this past weekend, you were also able to attend the men's breakfast at our parish. We had over 30 men show up for that, including Bishop Nicholas, which was a pleasant surprise given the snowy morning that we had over here in Northwest Arkansas. So the Antiochian men was first started in our diocese, the Diocese of Miami in the Southeast, in the Antiochian jurisdiction. I was wondering, as a priest from outside of our diocese, what are your impressions of Amen as an organization? 
Well, first of all, it was remarkable to see the diversity in the group of men that were gathered together and the camaraderie, the brotherhood that uh, was very apparent in uh, the fellowship uh, and the structure and order and attentiveness to um, the uh, talk by His Grace uh, Bishop Nicholas. Um, it was something um, that... I consider remarkable, badly needed, essential to the health of a parish to have men that are engaged and motivated to serve, motivated to serve. Uh, there are many men today that have taken a back seat, if not the rear seat, to uh, expecting the church to function with um, with, uh, if not volunteered, paid individuals. Well, you know, we've gone through a lot of transition. I mean, I remember the day, going back to that question about being a priest and a pastor, uh, coming out of seminary, I was the sole full-time hired person of the parish. And everything fell into the lap of the pastor who happened to be a priest. If you don't have volunteers, if you don't have organization, if you don't have prime movers, people that, first of all, know what they're doing, not just to make a difference, but knowledgeable people, trained, educated in the faith, pious, prayerful, repentant, take seriously the sacraments of the church. Um, that, to me, is what determines the health of a parish. And men play a very essential and important role. Scripture, because while in my undergraduate degree, my, my thesis was on the primary relationships of a Christian family as prescribed by the New Testament. And throughout the New Testament, you consistently hear how men are called in a role of initiative, taking an initiative, consistent with what God the Father did by initiating the sending by love of his son into the world to save us. And men play that very important and essential role by taking initiatives. And that's not to say that men should be domineering, that men should be usurping an authority of, uh, of uh, power over women or even in presiding in some way as the people that are in charge without women having a role in the church, what it does mean is that with the grace of the Holy Spirit, with the love of God, and with a servant heart, men are expected to serve in that very unique capacity of a leadership in the church. Women can too, but there has, over the many years of church in this country, uh, been a um, shortage of men stepping up to the plate. There wasn't necessarily a shortage, I think, in many of the beginnings of our churches in North America. But uh, once um, it seems that men had taken on successful roles in very prominent positions, being primary breadwinners of a family, it appears that the women were expected then to step up to the plate because the men were the breadwinners. Um, this has to change. Um, we men have to learn that there is something about getting our hands dirty. Uh, 
in being servants that also pertains to how we share and give our resources to the church. Giving of ourselves, uh, giving of our time, in addition to our money, but more importantly, building a relationship and a brotherhood of men in a parish is healthy, very healthy for the growth of a parish. And especially in helping young people understand God and young people understand what commitment is when men who are father figures fulfill that role. Yeah, and I want to stay on this topic. You know, Dad, I remember growing up in the church and wondering why there wasn't an Antiochian men. We have had an Antiochian women's organization as far back as I can remember, but we didn't have anything like that for the men in the church for the longest time. And you could say that the men had been in a state of chaos for many years, in that they really had not been organized in our parishes the same way that the ladies have. I personally believe the church needs strong men in the laity, not just in the clergy. What's your perspective on this? I like to not so compartmentalize men and women and children in roles. I like to think of us as community, as a family of families, each with, as St. Paul talks about, a function in particular that, as St. Ignatius says, is like being part of a symphony with a director, which is the bishop. Um, and unless a person is honest with himself, herself, um, you know, and, and the beauty of some of the images that we have in our day, like, for example, you're probably too, too young, Michael, to remember Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Um, Fred Astaire, I mean, you have in this television series now with people that dance for winning an award, but you have the role of a man and a woman, and a man is leading, often, most often, visibly, but they're one. <clears throat> I mean, you can't even necessarily tell how the man is leading other than he is united in the movement, in being in step with his wife, being in step with him. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a, a profound image. That and the symphony image of St. Ignatius, that is what the church is. With each person fulfilling their calling, being true to themselves, being honest and prepared to offer what God's talents, abilities, skills have been afforded to them in serving others and being unafraid. There's a lot of people today that want to serve in ways that they cannot or serve in ways that they are not called to serve. Uh, you know, wannabes of this and that. We have to be honest with ourselves. We have to cultivate and develop the skills, talents, and gifts that God has given us in order to offer what we have, not what we don't have. And men have a lot to offer the church, not only by writing checks, but by coming to church with their wives, with their children, and serving in many ways other than uh even being presidents and so forth, but by giving a hand and working hard, and which can alleviate a lot of the expenses in the church um, and also foster and build a lot of fellowship 
and build healthy relationships within the community. Well, we're going to wrap things up for this podcast episode, but it has been great having you with us today, Father Timothy, and we hope that you will come back and visit us again soon at St. Nicholas Orthodox Church. Thank you so much for taking the time out to speak with us while you were here. Thank you, Bryce and Michael. I appreciate being here and being invited to uh, respond to these questions. I hope they've been helpful to others. They've definitely been helpful to us, and uh, we hope and pray that they are to our listeners as well. We want to thank our listeners for joining us today for this episode of Coming Out of Chaos. Please remember to check out our website at antiochianmen.org to learn more about our organization. We also have many videos available that can be found on that website as well as on our Amen YouTube channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and any of the major podcasting platforms. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We would also appreciate a positive review if the platform allows you to do so. Please share this podcast with your friends and help us to spread the word about it. If anyone would like to send us feedback, please just send an email to amendomsey at gmail.com. That's A-M-E-N-D-O-M-S-E at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments for us. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.